This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. I'm Matt Chorley and you're listening to the Opinion Podcast from The Times. Joining me this week we've got columnist Charles Cohen, assistant editor Anne Ashworth and columnist David Ivanovich. Here are their topics. Pension tax reliefs for the higher paid have already been reduced and more cuts are coming. The justification for all this reform is fairness. The higher paid have apparently had it just too good. But I would argue that if you make company pension scheme membership less attractive to executives, to the people who sit on the board, this makes it less likely that they will support these schemes, which will hurt the less well-off. This is just another Treasury tax grab disguised as redistribution. A survey commissioned by the Labour Party has revealed that a disproportionate number of members who have joined since the 2015 general election are high-status city dwellers pursuing well-paid jobs. Most of them are from North London. So Corbyn and Macdonald and the rest rode to power on a crest of people exactly like me, except with the politics of Rick out of the young ones. One Labour MP has suggested that members with properties valued at over a million pounds should pay £1,000 a year to be a Labour Party member. And that's more than the Groucho Club, although it's less than Annabelle's. So just how rich do you have to be to vote Labour? We're a month and doubtless a dozen more controversies away from the Oscars. Too few black actors. Why call women actors actresses? Why have separate categories? Just how much physical suffering does an actor have to go through, crippling disability, nearly dead from bear attack, etc., to win? But why do we do this? The best picture almost never is the best picture. The best actor is 20% Buggins turn and 50% fashion. Really subtle movies stand no chance. Above all, it's a dull and distracting way of talking about a popular art form. Let's abolish it. So quite a mixed bag of uh, topics we've got there. And uh, we'll start with you and pensions. And you going in for the defence of the rich and their pension pots. I'm defending the rich having decent pension pots because the way company pension schemes work, it's like a collective. If senior management, the members of the board, support the pension scheme and investing in that pension scheme, that's good for those who are on the shop floor, in the offices, manning the phones. If they become less interested in investing in pension schemes because it is less worthwhile for them, then it is not at the top of their priorities. 
And I also think that great many of the people being hit by these pension tax reliefs and the ones that are rumoured to be coming, which could affect those who earn only around about £42,000, £43,000 a year, are really much more pernicious than we think they are. It's OK to do stuff to pension reliefs because nobody, when they're voting, thinks, oh, these guys took away some of my... Uh, cut my pension tax relief and indeed those who are already in receipt of their pensions that is older voters really are not particularly concerned but we should all of working age stand up and say hands off our pensions guys but what about what about the argument that everybody's got to be involved in a pension now all employers have to have people in a pension so they've all got to take an interest in making sure their their staff have, have got one haven't they at smaller companies, I wouldn't think that would necessarily be so. You're talking about very good paternalistic-type companies. And also, it seems to me that the level of the cuts does not represent exactly how much people currently in their 40s and 50s will need when they are retired. And how you much might, will they need when they're Well, retired? I mean, if you've got a pension pot of a million pounds... That won't buy you a fortune as a pension. How and, what will it get you? Well, it's about twenty five grand a year. Twenty five grand a year. About twenty five to thirty to fifty thousand pounds a year, depending on your circumstances and depending how good you are in investing the money. Now, that may not be enough to live on. That may not sustain us given that people are living so much longer. And after all, pensions are ju it's just the tax on these things is just deferred. It's not avoided. We pay tax on our pensions once they start to be paid. There's a disingenuous feel to all this reform that I find distasteful. The, the, the counter-argument is if, if the government needs to find some money from somewhere, there's long been an argument about they're taking money out of benefits, they're taking child tax credits away from poor families. Why, why shouldn't well-off people feel some of that pain as well? I'm about to drop the G word into this conversation. Yeah. Google, Google, which made a tax donation, <laughs> which made a tax donation rather than paying tax because they weren't challenged, as we are reading this week, on the central claim that they are not really headquartered in Britain. If the same rigour were applied to corporations as it is to individuals uh, who are facing a new clampdown this tax assessment deadline year, I might warn you, then there would be sufficient revenues. But it's not, not that I'm only interested in pension tax legislation insofar as it relates to me, but I am only interested in how so far as it relates to me. And when it, So when you say pension tax release for the higher paid have already been reduced, that, that's the, the thing where right. it's down to a million quid from 1.25. And self-employed people too. Yes, and self-employed. So and all the, and this is why we are losing people from the health service because doctors at the height height of their powers who are most used to us as a society are retiring early because they are their pensions have reached the limit there are all kinds of unforeseen and unintended i hope consequences to this which are quite malign david what do you make of this um, on the whole, I'm in favour of another Treasury tax grab disguised as redistribution, and I'm very used to the arguments which are usually conjured up as to why you can never do it. Uh, but Anne is a more sophisticated person than, let's say, uh, a Tory MP is, and therefore I have to take more seriously what she says about the incentives. Although, it has to be said, it's a rather depressing rationale, which is that the only way in which you can interest company bosses in the pension rights of their employees is if they stand to gain a shed load of money from it themselves. If you take away even a little bit of that to give to somebody else, uh, and when they've already got an enormous bloody amount, then in that case that disincentivizes. But it may, I suppose, be true. It's although it's 
worth noting how incentives sort of work work differently. But by and large, I'm not inclined to the belief that one of the major problems that we have right now is that the rich are insufficiently wealthy. But the rich are fine. The ones who've already filled their pension pots up to the limit at 1.8 or before when there was no limit are fine. If you are me... Come bringing back yes. to the central <laughs> issue here. Then you and you are forty-five, and you're just starting to get around to finally making some pension payments. When you get told the most you can make is ten grand a year, which won't, then the most you can get to is a, is a. Where do I stop in order to not end up going past a million? And, and, and my income is going to be twenty-five grand. So finally, after working out the greasy polygenism, I'm going to be on a nurse's salary when I'm sixty-five. And also that that one million pound limit may is in jeopardy. That could go down. Could it's it? under discussion that that could be seven hundred and fifty thousand because that sounds. Sounds like a minor monarch's ransom, doesn't it? But when it comes to getting money out of that at retirement, it's um, rather different. Yeah, but we're not talking, also, we're not, some we're... of the people who are being going to be affected by if they introduce flat rate pension tax relief only earn about 42000 Tell me if you think that that is incredibly well, well off. Well, unfortunately, that entirely depends where in Britain you live. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to say. We know, and it also depends upon a whole series of other circumstances. So, for instance, if you were somebody who had bought their own home and was not paying a mortgage and you were earning 44000 on the northern coast of Antrim, you are doing extremely well. If it's in the middle of Notting Hill, then in that case, you're, you're out of I pocket th- entirely. You're I a think pauper. In plenty of places in Zone 3, it's still not regarded as a handsome salary. But, the, but, but when the national average salary is 26 Six twenty-seven thousand, and you're talking about that, that being what a pension pays out. There'll be lots of people who no, think. No, I'm not. I'm not talking about <coughs> that's what a pension pays out. No, no, that's the, the earnings of the person that could be affected. You well, can I tell just, it's, I, making, I, it's making me hoarse with rage. I just can't. I'm, I'm hoarse with rage at the fact that we've got this Tory government that we're going to have. It's got no opposition. It's going to be there till at least 2030. I slave my fingers to the bone during Labour administrations with top rates of tax. Yes, I'm one of the people who earns a bit more money. And they, they haven't really brought the tax rate down. It's at 45%. They've taken away the child benefit just when I got around to having children. Uh, they, the, the, any chance of building a pension to avoid some of that income tax they've taken away. And now they've changed the rules on the dividend thing. So I don't even Giles, get... I have a simple piece of, info, uh, uh, of advice for you. You, given that I know what you do, get a new agent. <laughs> <laughs> you mean earn more? Yes. No, everything that I earn over a certain point, there's now no point in doing it. So I come and do this because it's free, so the government can't get any tax off me. <laughs> I, I would say, fine, make it a level te- a level playing field, but we know that, that MPs are in a, a system which has got what they call an accrual. I'm not going to start explaining to it now, which is phenomenally generous. And I, which I we once tried to get dream. my head around yes. MPs' pensions. Yes, and but all were, you just need good. to know... All yeah. you just need to know is extraordinarily generous and what we should be able to aspire to, but can't. It is, but it's not relevant. It's not, it's not relevant. I mean, but they're uh, making arguing, these arguing, rules. arguing continuously towards, you know, but Google do this and MPs do that has got nothing to do with pensions, etc. It's just a way of saying, yeah, uh, really, Anne. I mean, the argument has got to be the one that you, essentially, that you, uh, that you, you base yourself on, uh, with, which is whether or not you leave people with a sufficient expectation of what they can do in their retirement. But look, philosophically, is it a good place? for the Chancellor to be getting the money from because the fact is it's sort of a bit rich people well no the future it's rich people in the future so it's not any kind Mm. of wealth tax and it's because that's a bit now and it's not any kind of income tax which always looks scary it's the pension which most people don't understand or know and it's so far in the future it's just they're hoping nobody will well you're right about that I mean for those of us who really seriously want to get unpopular then in that case what we'll do is suggest a wealth tax maybe even a land tax uh, uh, because that's a kind of a form of wealth that doesn't go and what you'd also suggest is no relief 
beliefs at all on uh, on inheritance. You know, in other words, by and large, if you inherit it, you get taxed full amount because actually you haven't worked for it. Now, the fact that your parents may have done is an, is another matter, but there aren't many takers. They'll abolish that the week before my mum dies. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on. Let's move I'm on to a so different group. I'm so pleased here to have really fired everybody up about pensions. Everyone is very um, excited about and pensions. And ambition is fulfilled there. <laughs> well, let's move on to a different group of uh, out of touch rich people living in North London and talk about the Labour Party and who this we, we, we've heard a lot about the big influx of people into the Labour Party but it turns out they're, 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 all, they're all of a type Charles. It's strange, they, I seem to be I'm literally the only high earning North Londoner who didn't join the Labour Party immediately in order to get Corbyn in uh, and he, he was my MP for a, for a, for a little while and uh, when, I, when I lived in Archway and, and a totally admirable fellow there's been this thing where they, they go on and on you know, as, as challenged by the fact that the, the, his, his ratings are through the floor and are terrible he and 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 mcdonnell and diane abbott always with their eyes closed at the moment of speaking tell you that they've got this <laughs> enormous mandate from the people and now this thing has come out which was commissioned for the labor national executive i think and was leaked in the garden earlier in the week shows that this this shows that the, the the thing that i quoted earlier that that um that most of the disproportionate number of members who have joined since the general election are high status city dwellers pursuing well-paid jobs as if that were a bad thing is the funny thing the tories would proudly declare that <laughs> All their new members are high status city dwellers. The Labour Party are embarrassed that they're high status city dwellers. They're, and what they are, it's not that I've always felt it's not that the Labour Party is no longer. It's not for disenfranchised people, for um, gay people, for black people. It's for posh, rich white people who are fascinated by gay people and black people and disenfranchised <laughs> people. So they, 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 it's a massive disconnect in, in 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 who's voting for what. But it's now like a social status thing. It's like saying you've joined the National Trust or you. I think you, you mentioned your column about it. yes, it's like well, joining I mean, a gym or you know it's something you can say at dinner parties. Oh, I've joined the Labour well, Party. It's, because, it's such fun. That, it is, and it's interesting how it shifted, because, David, I assume you still live in Hampstead. This, mm. this used to be what Hampstead was like, <laughs> but this is now what Kentish Town well, is Hampstead's like. Hampstead's just bankers now, so yeah. it's a full of my, my, my ward is a completely And pray ward. God that Kentish Town should soon become full of bankers, that's why. But <laughs> at the you, moment... You, we, you don't know how that... It just means that every basement near you gets hollowed out, etc., and you spend years with the builders, and but, without being able to do it yourself. <laughs> so is this so is this thing that I'm experiencing, literally Huddleston Road, two streets from me, they identified, and that, were the Times named the road, but they said there's a road in in, uh, in North London where or a billionaire property where 40 of these members live, and it's literally a road I can see from my office. Uh, and they've all joined up in order to affect policy, but... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. They all know that the... the, 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 the I, I did wonder about that, whether they weren't all just millionaires because they had houses in Huddleston Road. <laughs> Yes, well, they've, but they've, they've, they've... I mean, it actually sounds like everybody in Huddleston Road joined the Labour Party and every house in Huddleston Road is worth more than a million quid and that was my explanation for it. Well, they've, they, I suppose, they're either the ones who've just bought it or they are now technically millionaires. Maybe it's guilt that has driven them there. The interesting, has it always been this way? Because this, 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 is, this is surely how it was in Hampstead in the 70s, is it? No, I'd, I, I'd actually... The Hampstead thing was always a bit of a sort of strange... Thing. Well, you had one or two kind of bohemian-type yeah. writers who wrote from Hampstead famously and Michael Foote lived in Hampstead, it got this kind of reputation. But one of the things... I mean, Hugh Gateskill is buried in Hampstead Cemetery there. And one of the things that it tells you is that quite often the leaderships of parties and some, you know, have been quite well-heeled, etc. They've not themselves always come from the working classes. And so, you know, Tony Benn, uh, you know, the thing of Tony Benn, has to forego his uh, uh, his viscountcy in order to be an MP. Like Corbyn probably him, had to. Has to fight him. Uh, <laughs> no Viscount Corbyn. No, no, there was posh, no Viscount he's posh, Corbyn. Really, he's he? not, he, what he is, actually, he's not posh. He's that middle thing which a lot of these members actually are. It's not it, it, although some of them might kind of t- tend towards wealth, it's probably London wealth, i.e. it's all based on their property and so on, mm. uh, uh, and the uh, and nominal income. What they are is bien pensant, middle-class types who've been down the hole to university and so on, who have a kind of... Yearn- oh, yeah, it is also partial, kind of yearning to associate themselves mm-hmm. with the idea that there is a better life to be had without actually having to think too hard about how you'd get it. So then, does this not blow apart the whole notion that Labour's returned to its grassroots, then? Yeah, absolutely. But, but, that, but that always... I mean, the thing is, the Labour grassroots you're talking about have been, for the last 60 years, a gradually shrinking proportion of the population. I mean, if you identify them, let's say, as what we used to call the white proletariat, the white proletariat, working mostly in, in, in industry and so on, has become a smaller and smaller proportion of the British population. It's a little bit like a kind of, you know, what the discussion's happening in America with the white middle-class male and so on, and them gradually realising that, say, if, if that's all you've got, then you haven't got very much. Uh, They're dying, aren't they, in America? There's this, there's this sudden middle-aged white man death syndrome in America. Yeah, and so, and, and so likewise, in a sense, you have this kind of... One of the reasons why UKIP appeals in some of the places it does is precisely because this is a kind of diminishing and a self-consciously almost nostalgic section of the population. Now, here, what you have here is a minority, a small minority, relatively small minority still, which is fairly well-off, urban, metropolitan uh, But it's not a minority. That's the statistics show the new members are... are what's appealing to them? Uh, uh, it's what, social. And, and why yeah, would anyone would join the You would probably improve your social life in areas such as these <laughs> if you were a Corbynite. Can you imagine how much, how many... The, you'd be invited to all the best parties. It would be like people whom you'll meet yeah. in country areas who actually are very much against country sports, hunting and the rest, but pay support them because they know that they won't get invited out much. Maybe now, canvassing is the new fox hunting, isn't it? And that you would probably be able to... I mean, how many of them also would be shy Tories and when they get the stubby pencil in their hand come the next election think, oh dear, 
and it veers towards the Tory candidate. I think I think the funny thing is that they actually mean it, although they certainly feel that they do at the moment. I do. I think they are sincere. I mean, after all, they go around the city and they do see these, and who better really, these great discrepancies of wealth and so on, and they see some of the things that we've been talking about, and they think, oh, it's absolutely awful, and something must be done. And the and the conventional people, they don't do anything about it. So who's talking about doing something about it? Jeremy Corbyn. They're mostly young, so they haven't the faintest idea that he's been banging on about the same stuff unsuccessfully for 40 years, so they think that something is really tedious, is actually refreshing, so they're mistaken. I think they're absolutely sincere, they're, and they're very represented. There will be some for whom it is, yeah, all my friends think like that, and there's a, I've had some hilarious stories from the sons and about the sons and daughters of some of my very wealthiest friends, or people that I meet, about them becoming Corbynese. Oh, yes, it is, it is the new sheet, the Corbyn, yeah, you've got to be a Corbynite. It's very good with the ladies, so I'm told, you know, on Facebook. Always you was, know, you want those. You want the, the <laughs> right direction of swiping on Tinder. Well, Jeremy, Cor- be- Jeremy Corbyn's had no trouble with the ladies of here. To be believed for these strange motorbike tours with Diane Abbott and so on. Although on the, I say it's also being very right wing is uh, is good with the ladies. I think it, uh, it was uh, PJ O'Rourke. Uh, said, you say this is what you like about Nazis, but what woman ever dreamt of <laughs> dressed as a liberal? <laughs> You're going to find that a very interesting moment in this podcast. Is that, is that the bit? Is that by the way, podcast listeners, the bit before me has just been edited out. Can I just like do it without? Yes, let's do it without. Yeah, and um, a bit after me, just been edited out. <laughs> But on that cheerful uh, uh, note, let's, there we are. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on to talking about the Oscars. David, you think the whole uh, shebang of the Oscars Actually, should be it's not just it's not just the Oscars. Um, it is, generally speaking, the entire business of awards and, by and large, the entire business of honours as well. Most people who win awards, are anywhere close to awards, know how awards are decided uh, in almost any walk of life, and I think the same goes for honours, knows that it's rubbish. It's arbitrary. It doesn't actually bear any particular relationship to what is very good or what and is excellent. And you sometimes win them, best. don't you? I do. I never do. I, I, yeah, no, you do. You do too. And it's even more rubbish when you win them than when I do. <laughs> um, I have. I don't win them. I, I, I don't win them because Catelyn is in my category. So <laughs> what I, do, I don't even. When I get nominated, when you get an invitation to nominate, would you like to come and see Catelyn Moran win an award? <laughs> would I? <laughs> it's, uh, thank you very much. I will wait till next. <laughs> And what, well, do you, what do you think? What, where are you on the Oscars and awards generally? Are they a good idea? Do you know, I'm sitting here struggling of, to think of something that isn't totally trivial to say, but, hey, I'm going to have to say it. What would we do without those frocks? The morn- I'm not really interested in the Oscars. I'm interested in seeing who wore what. Was it nice? Was it great? Could I see myself in that, comparing them? And it's a great source of conversation but you know the thing is we just know that you win an oscar by being peculiar in a role in some way and that the person who depicts an ordinary person in the most brilliant way will never get anywhere i don't know if we've have we all seen the big short i haven't yeah i've got some more children i haven't seen the film in the cinema since depictions in there of Ordinary, <laughs> ordinary guys whom you will, you will never win an Oscar because that's not regarded as acting. There needs to be, as Mr. Aronovich said, you've got to be wearing a bear or have uh, put okay, on nine hundred pounds in isn't weight. Isn't it weird though? 
isn't it weird that, it, that it, the thing is, this, this list with no black actors in it, I mean, I had some sympathy with poor old Charlotte Rampling because she didn't mean black people might not be good enough. She might just mean this year it might have so happened that the roles weren't there for black people. But given that we think of the Oscars as a thing that goes to people for being different, for being unusual, for pretending to be disabled or pretending to be, you know, a transvestite or a Wood Dustin Hoffman being a... Being a it is weird that being black isn't an advantage. All these differences from the mainstream are well, no, an advantage, it, except being but black. But what it would suggest, actually, is that you'd only get the Oscar if you were a white person yes. being black. <laughs> but actually, of course, you can get it as a black person, providing you're prepared to be a slave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And indeed, that's exactly what happened, I think, yeah. the year before last, or, or, or was it last year? And that indicates what we're talking about, really, which is, if you really like movies, you know the Oscars is not... Re- you, you use it as a kind of excuse to talk about movies because you, wa- you want people to, and you're enthusiastic, about it, but you're not really talking about really good movies. Probably, you know, and I, I know I'm going to get ridiculed by you for saying so, but probably the best movie of the year is going to be made by some miserable Iranian, oh, yeah. uh, etc. Because they'll really understand how to make people, you know, because the the human condition, you'll really kind of get something out of it instead of something like Star Wars, which you know some critics, including our own, gave five stars to, and which actually is hardly worth one and a half. You know, I mean, really, it's a it's really a kind of ordinary thing, but everybody goes crazy about it because of the money because of the association because it's got the kind of big names in it and, it's quite uh, hard and so to get on. columnists to dress up as characters from small budget Iranian movies <laughs> yes. as well isn't it? I'm, prepared, I'm prepared to do it I never get asked actually I'm dressed like one now but actually Star Wars Star Wars doesn't win uh, big prizes either does it because yeah. although it's massively popular yeah, it's it, it sort of like children's film which involves alien, anything to do with aliens and wizards uh, the children do you know my most trolled no thing I've got the whole year was when the Star Wars thing and I said it's just a long episode of the clangers and the, the, <laughs> I, I got I, 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 David I, and I, I are flinching here are you, are you a Star Wars fan no oh. no no I would say that <laughs> I, I think that Joy is a wonderful film because it's called Joy will it win no. It's too happy. It has it's to be too, miserable it's and too happy, depressing. It's too and... life-enhancing. And I keep saying, the big short, they should all get awards for that. But because they're depicting ordinary kind of guys, it's not acting. It's a very, very fine definition of acting that this strange committee that... that decides on these awards seems but to have. Not, but, but the thing is, it's not about anything to do with the thing it says it is. So, in a way, <laughs> OK, so we all buy into this huge confidence trick and we actually know that best movie doesn't mean best movie, it means something else and so on. Does it not what, mean what quite I'm good movie? Yeah, I, I, I'm like Giles, we've, I've got children, we don't go to the cinema very often. Knowing no, you that do, you go to Disney. You we, go, to, do, you go to Frozen, you go to see Frozen again and again and again and again and then you see it again and again start, and again. You see you know the 23rd time, you start to see stuff yeah, you didn't yeah, notice yeah. the first time. <laughs> yeah, you get like the the inside of your yeah. that you didn't get to start you know, off with. Interestingly, though, you might you say is it mean quite good? What means quite good is better than eighty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb. Yeah, you just think you don't the, need the, the top Oscars, twelve. The top yeah. of the top twelve, is it twelve or ten films which are nominated for best film? They'll be all right if you're going to shell out for going to the cinema of an evening. It'll, it'll be okay. It's just a sort of filter mechanism, isn't it? No, it should be the top bloody movie. I mean, what is the you know when you know yeah. how when people I, I don't mind this when people compile their top hundred movies, particularly when pe- actual film critics do it. When the general public does it, they just mean the top twenty that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> and so on in the last 10 years because I don't remember the public, any further you can't back, trust et yeah, that's right so the top 100 movies of all time always are 10 from when you were between the ages of 20 and 30 yeah, yeah. Well, actually, mine are all movies. boxing movies. So, right, I get you get to twenty-seven, and then I'm not interested because there aren't any more boxing movies. But we had this was it uh, last week or the week before the National Television Awards, where they're voted by the general public. Anton Deck win every year for best presenter, and it, you know, and there was a question there: what, what's the point? What's the point of that? 
No, the, I, I think that actually is very little point. In fact, if I, if I, I think these are all ways of not talking properly about the things and not celebrating these things in a kind of any kind of interesting way. I would abolish all awards and just about all honours, just all of them. They just wouldn't take any notice of, of any of them. Now, you might have the occasional kind of public vote about it, or you might have critics' awards where you only allow... People who have been in the business for 20 years properly looking over since. I mean, fabulously elitist, but it actually would also mean something. It would mean that when that group of 20 people said, this film really is good, you turn around and say, well, in that case, if I do nothing else at the end of the year, I'm going to see that one film, and you wouldn't regret it. What I'd like to ask now is, um, tell me what you think has been really good and I should definitely go and see. Uh, I like The Revenant because you're never, ever going to see a better bear attack. Even than in that Herzog movie? Uh, even than in the Herzog movie when it was a real bear. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you don't see the bear attack, do you? Right, I'm going to see it. The Revenant, even though I've been told, actually, it all happened in rather better weather than is depicted in the film. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, it all, yes, it did. It all happened on Mystique. It was all, it was all much cosier than the sun was out. It was all very good. On that note, uh, the, the Oscars are on the February the 28th. If you're remotely interested, and I'm sure that the Times will have excellent coverage of it, including of the Fox and whether or not the films uh, won the right awards. Um, thank you very much, all of you. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can find out more at the, uh, about everything we've been talking about at thetimes.co.uk. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes to have it delivered every week. And for more opinion, analysis and political gossip landing in your inbox every morning, you can sign up to my red box briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box forward slash sign up. For now, from Giles and David and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.